This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time. It's time. It's time. time for the hard-hitting analysis you won't find anywhere else. Here's former Super Bowl winning scout Brian Broaddus and Bobby Belt. 10-5 victory! Cowboys win! This is Love of the Star. Star. Welcome to the Love of the Star podcast. I'm Bobby Belt, Dallas Cowboys insider for 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. That is your radio flagship home of the Dallas Cowboys. Joined, as always, by former Super Bowl winning NFL scout Brian Broaddus. He is now the co-host of the G-Bag Nation on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. That's 2 to 7 p.m. Central, Monday through Friday. Uh, You can also catch him as the pre- and post-game co-host on the Dallas Cowboys radio network during the regular season. Uh, And he is also the co-host of the seasonal draft show on DallasCowboys.com. Brian Broaddus, how are you today with your your beautiful pennant set up behind you? How do you like that? I don't know if people, do they actually get to see us or is it just all voice stuff now? Some of the the YouTube people will still see us. Oh, cool. Well, uh, YouTube people here, welcome to my world of uh, my uh, new backdrop with all my pennants. These are pennants that I used to uh, collect when I was a kid. Texas Stadium family season ticket holder, 1971 through 1992. So every time that I went to Texas Stadium, I would get a new pennant. So these pennants go all the way back from those days. And then behind me is me and my Super Bowl trophy in 96 after the game. That was that. And then some LSU stuff kind of floated in between all that. So that's my new backdrop. I'm always impressed when people have like these really cool backdrops like Desmond Howard during the pandemic he had like his Heisman trophy and then he had the Super Bowl MVP trophy right next to that I was like okay yeah what a flex right there but uh good to be with you as always Robert happy Father's Day as Thank we you. Uh, as you we as tape well. and, and happy Father's Day whenever you folks uh whenever you gentlemen listen to this uh, we wish you all the very, very best. So I got to ask you real quick, since you do have the old pennants there and they are single bar face masks, yeah. what uh, what one NFL player, because to me the answer is easy and it's probably just from when I grew up, but what one NFL player do you think of when you think of the single bar face mask? Oh, I think of Joe Theismann. Okay. I think of Gary Anderson. And Gary that's Anderson, just, the kicker, yeah. Joe Th- he was the last one doing it when I oh, was. Oh, man, I could, I could go way, 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 way back to some of those quarterbacks back in the day, but. To me, I always think of the one. Laoti sig- Tavares just homered. Brian, there we I'm go. Just giving you a Rangers update. Rangers well, update. I'm all about the Rangers are now up 10 7 in yeah. the seventh inning. Laoti's we swinging a great bat, by the way. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, 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 I always think of uh, like Joe Theismann, 
uh, you know, was one that I always – the old the old punters and kickers used to be the guys that always wore the single bar ones, but Joe Theismann was my guy for – not my guy, the guy I think of when uh, I think of single bar helmets. Don Maynard goes back – that's the old Joe Namath receiver back yeah. in the uh, – Back in the late '60s, man, they, they, you know, heck, I, I, I never saw a game where they didn't have a face mask, but I saw where it was pretty darn close. I, I was a part of some games where it was pretty, pretty close. So as we jump into the show, we got a couple different things for you guys today. We are going to uh, continue the roster inventory. We'll be doing that next segment. That'll be the pass catchers, so receivers and tight ends. Uh, and then, of course, a little bit later on, we're going to do the uh, listener mailbag, the Dean Julia Love of the Star mailbag. Before we get into that, though, the Cowboys did make a hire over this weekend, Brian. Uh, they have hired Sarah Mollipie, and she was a strate- or she was actually a player personnel analyst for the Ravens since 2019. She has been hired to ESPN Seth Walder as a strategic football analyst. She actually got her start on Twitter. She was in analytics Twitter community, uh, and she participated in the big data bowl a few years back that the NFL puts on, uh, impressed a number of folks there with some of her uh, analysis and, and her work on um, basically heat zones with the passing game to see where where quarterbacks have the most success and where they like throwing the ball to, what direction, what part of the field, things like that. Um, and so she impressed some folks and, and you know, uh, has a, a, uh, a sharp background in terms of when you look at analytics and, and things like that. And so she was hired by the Cowboy, or she was hired by the Ravens, uh, brought along over the last couple of years and worked with them really closely in the personnel department area. And now the Cowboys will bring her on uh, as Seth Walder reports under that title that we just mentioned, strategic football analyst. So Brian, she was taking part in a panel discussion about analytics and football last March. Um, It was part of ESPN's uh, sports analytics conference that they do in partnership with MIT. And I wanted to play some of these clips just so that the listeners can familiar familiarize themselves uh, with Molly Pie and get the idea of what kind of thought process she's bringing here to the organization. We'll discuss some of these things ourselves. The first clip here, Brian, uh, this is Sarah Molly Pie talking about where there has been some resistance uh, to analytics in the NFL, where she's met some resistance from folks uh, from folks in terms of the job that she's trying to do. Something that I hear kind of often outside the building is that analytics works in a sport like baseball because the people on the field, you can kind of isolate them. It doesn't work in a sport like football because it's 11 moving people together. And I think that that was always kind of weird to me because, you know, we use modeling and analytics in fields like economics and finance and healthcare. And those are fields with a lot more unknowns and a lot less constraints. And we still use modeling there. And what I mean by unknowns and constraints is, so in football, you're, you're constrained to 11 people on the field and all of those people are playing one to three different positions. You know, this is your down, this is your distance. You have 15 minutes and a quarter. You're constrained in that way. And then the unknowns, when you model, I think we're lucky that those don't really have to be unknowns. Mm -hmm. That's where our coaches and our scouts, they have their subject level expertise and they come in and we say, you know, hey, we're trying to model something or we're trying to build a new stat. These are our constraints. These are our unknowns. And this is where your input and your subject level expertise comes in. And I think that's a really interesting perspective out there because I think some of the resistance that has existed in the NFL to analytics, Brian, is 
you know, like she mentioned, there are a lot of people feel like analytics is more applicable in baseball um, or, or that you can uh, get more out of the data than you can in the football world. And, and there are folks who say, look, the game still has to be played. It's a funny shaped ball. It takes weird bounces, whatever else. Uh, and, and so I think some resistance there has been the idea of don't come in here and think you can just play this game or understand this game on a calculator. But it seems like her perspective is, no, look, this is absolutely something that is useful in this sport. But also at the same time, these coaches, these scouts, everything else, they matter because they help us prepare for the unknown and those sort of variables that our analytics can't explain or, or, or that we can't factor into it. Um, and I think that that's something that would be very welcome from the Cowboys scouting staff and their personnel department and their coaching staff is, hey, this isn't somebody just coming in here telling us how to do things. This is somebody who uh, is trying to blend their research with what we need and, and with our input. Yeah, I think, Bobby, the, the thing that uh, is interesting that and she appears to be very bright. I don't, uh, you know, I don't know her. Uh, I've, I've never really talked to anybody. I, I know I did, uh, you know, I reached out about when John Park got the job to some mm -hmm. people in the organization, and they were super positive about him and what he potentially could bring. I knew Tom Robinson and his background. So, yeah, you know, the, the thing with analytics to me, and this is where I think Molly can really, really help, and I th it's turned into a younger scouting department game, to be honest with you. The guys that, that I grew up with in scouting are now general managers, but they're also getting older. And so we're having to learn a really how analytics fit into uh, into – the evaluation and what it can do to help you, uh, you know, uh, have a better understanding of these players. And, you know, I, I just listened to her talk. I'm like, okay, Molly, explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old, that kind of thing. You know, I mean, I think that's where there's, there's, there's guys in football that have, have been brought up a certain way and they, they have their beliefs and their understanding of how things should operate how you know and and it's not always right there's some guys that are really really good at this player evaluation stuff just because they can sit down and look at the tape and evaluate and say this guy's got this traits so i think one of the great things about you know was working with jerry jones is that we always had to explain it in a way of jerry this guy reminds me of somebody that he's seen you yeah. know and that you know numbers Numbers will tell you certain things about in comparison of players, but one of the best comparisons ever has been the ability to say, this guy reminds me of. And, I, you know, I will never forget this sitting in the room with, uh, with Jim Garrett, Jason Garrett's dad. I worked with Jim for, you know, six years there in scouting. And Jim one time described Drew Henson as potentially the next Troy Aikman. Now, you know, when we're in a meeting room and a scout says that, you know, all I remember was looking over at Jerry Jones when he said that, room dead silent, Jerry had glasses on into the nose, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, really? You know, oh, really? And then you have a Stephen Jones, well, Jim, expand on that, would you? You know, tell us why you think. And so, to me, the, the, the comparisons of players is my way of analytics. You know, my way of seeing... Uh, if you said this guy is, well, he reminds me of this guy reminds me of, and 
but you know you have these these folks these new analytics folks that are coming into the game and instead of telling you who they remind you of they're saying their numbers maybe remind them of somebody you know what i'm saying the numbers yeah. instead of the evaluation the eye test the evaluation of the numbers the way we use numbers in the early 90s and through the 90s into the 2000s were we use numbers as comparisons to 40-yard dash times, short shuttle times and stuff. But now these, these analytics, she's talking about creating models that you can maybe give yourself a little bit better understanding of who this player is. But, man, I'll tell you what, there was, there was nothing better at the time than being able to say, this guy reminded me of. And when you were able to paint that picture and say that, like, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, I kind of see what you're talking about there, but man, I tell you, these 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 analytics folks, hey, they're coming in, they're young, they're teaching uh, the older evaluators something that we really never ever ever believed that we'd ever uh, you know use as an evaluation. Well, and she talked a little bit later on, um, not just about you know some of the player personnel stuff, but maybe you're just helping create models for game plans or things like that. And one of the things she talked about was how it's really important that when she goes into a project, she may have certain things that she's interested in researching or finding out. But one of the clips here, she talks about how whatever she's researching, she has to make sure that it's really relevant to a coach or a coordinator. I have so many ideas for analysis, but I have to be cognizant of the fact of, you know, I have my own ideas, but what in this moment is relevant to a coach and to a scout? Let's say we want to look at routes versus certain coverages. If I were to go to an advanced scout or if I were to go to a coach or a coordinator, I would look at them and I'd say, you know, did you know that the data shows that (laughs) running four verts against the cover three is one of the most efficient plays in football? They'd look at me and be like, okay, like, welcome to 2015. That's not, that's not relevant. And that's not insightful and that's not useful. So I think as somebody who is a presenter of information, I have to, you know, take the time to learn what is actually useful and what's going to actually move the needle. A lot of trade-off. Yeah. A lot of trade-off. She's, she's trying to learn coaches who a lot of them are guys that are my age, you know, guys and gals that are, man, there's some younger female coaches in the league, but the male coaches she deals with are generally probably didn't have a lot of work with analytics. So she has to be able to present it in a way that the coaches can benefit from that. But the coaches on the flip side have to be able to present to her, you know, the, the things, the, uh, the points of a player, a formation, a play. They have to be willing to trade with her like, okay, this is why we would do this. And then that would help her with her models in turn. And, and she's absolutely right. You, the last thing you want to do is go into a room and talk over people's heads. You know, it just, you just don't, it just never works well because what happens is everybody walks out of the room and they get in their little groups and they talk about, Jesus, Molly gal, she's way over her head. She's this, she's that. You know, you want to be able to have a way of kind of explaining uh, or being able to work together, there there is going to be some pushback from her. There's no question there's going to be pushback of these coaches that don't quite understand analytics, but the really smart ones will adapt with her and help her, and, and they'll benefit from her being with the team. One of the topics that comes up with analytics frequently is the idea of the running game and how much running backs matter, and it's been a big analytical cry in the last several years that – 
you know, running backs are not nearly as important as people once believed. And, and in fact, they're, they're pretty much useless, some people would try and say. Uh, interesting clip here from Sarah Molly Pye, where she was asked about the idea of, you know, what is her biggest evolution that she's had uh, since going from just an outside analytics person to somebody who gets inside of a building and understands their process a little bit better. And Sarah said, one of the things that she's found is that running backs matter a lot more than she once thought they did. So the, the idea behind running backs don't matter is running backs are replaceable because so much of their production is related to the offensive line blocking for them and the number of defenders in the box. So I think my perspective kind of changed on that and seeing how when an offensive line blocks for a running back, once you get to that second or that third level defender and you're one-on-one with them, are you a back that is able to either shake that tackle or if you get wrapped up, shake that guy and then create more yards. And I think if something's not perfectly blocked and your offensive lineman has a bad block, are you a guy that has the vision to be able to change your point of attack and fight for more yards? And even on a perfectly blocked run play, if it's a perfectly blocked read and you have that unblocked edge defender and your quarterback makes the handoff, you know, are you a back that's fast enough to be able to outrun that unblocked edge defender? Again, I think some guys are better at that than others. So it sounds like one of her big evolutions here is, look, I, you know, it doesn't sound like she thinks the running back is the most important player on, on the field, but it sounds like, you know, this blend of analytics and coaching and everything else that where these worlds meet a little bit, she's saying, hey, one of the things I've learned from the personnel department side and some of these other things is there are, you know, here are three factors right here that I just named off where a running back's ability matters more than just what's blocked for him. Yeah, I, I really, you know, with Sarah, she's done a nice job about that's the whole thing about being able to understand and to adapt and 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 you know, you have to keep an open mind about this. This just goes back to some of the things that we were talking about earlier that, you know, analytics will tell you that they make that backs make uh defenders avoid this many times and whether it's right or left or whatever. But this is one of those positions that kind of goes back to the eye test. You know, when you go back and you, you know, you can say, Sarah, yeah, I, I, I'm digging what you're saying. I, I totally see the percentage here of making miss and all that. And, you know, because that's, those, that's one of those positions where you will evaluate and you'll say, man, that B. John Robinson, look how many guys, you know, I mean, I, I don't need a number to tell me that. I don't need a number yeah. to say what he is because I know watching tape that, that Kansas State couldn't tackle him, and Oklahoma State couldn't tackle him, and Alabama couldn't tackle him, and you know, so that that's to me the running back is that one position. I love what she's doing with the wide receiver stuff. I think that's you know the 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 talk about routes and combinations and all those things. I think that's a, I think that's a huge huge help. But to me, the running back is the one position where really analytics is not. You know, they could talk about, well, he does well against stack box or, you know, he does better against light box or he makes people miss. Uh, that's one of those old school, I'm just watching the tape and I'm watching guys just not tackle this guy. Yeah, and I, and, and I think that that's one of the, the things that she's sort of getting at there is that her hard analytics side made her believe a certain thing about right, runners. When right. she got in and saw the personnel department, she went, yeah, you know what, there are these factors here that, are, are more important than just the analytics saying this is what gets blocked for you. These are yeah. traits that are maybe a little immeasurable or right. or even if you can't measure it, it's something that should be weighted a little bit it more. Was, yeah, it was clear to every Dallas Cowboy fan that when Ezekiel Elliott was handing the was handed the ball and then Tony Pollard was handed the ball, and then the argument was, well, 
he's gaining a yard, a yard and a half more, two yards more than what Zeke's. You know, you could see it with your own eyes. You, you, you knew that one back was making defenders miss him and the other back wasn't. You know, yeah. I mean, that to me is that to me is the it, where, you know, analytics. Sure. There's there's a model for all that. But then there's also the model of like, you know what? I'm watching this guy run and that number 20 looks like he's making more people miss on tape than that number 21 is. And yeah, and but I, that but that's good, though. I, I just think it's a it's really a two way street here. I, sure. I mean, I'd love to be in a department now. I mean, I've been out. You know, I've been out since 05, and so much has changed over the years. I'd love to be able to go back in and with an open mind say, oh, because I'm a big believer in running backs. I really, really am. I think they're, I think they're super important. And I get in fights, arguments, discussions with guys all the time about this because I think there's an important factor for a B. John Robinson. I think that, you know – it, it, you know, talk about handing the ball to a guy that's a difference maker. Look what the Falcons have done. They've taken two positions that really in the last couple of drafts that really shouldn't, I mean, they took a tight end high and they took a back high. Yeah. You know, but watch what Atlanta does on offense. They're going to, they ran the ball exceptionally well last year. They'll probably run the ball even better this year. You know, I mean, just because I think there's, I think there's a, a there's an importance to being able to do that. Does it always translate into wins? People will say probably not, Brian. But I just think that you have to have that ability to take pressure off your quarterback with a quality running game. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think some of those factors she talked about that she's kind of adjusted on making guys miss at the second and third level. If somebody's unblocked, being able to shake a tackler, yeah. do whatever else talking about even if it's blocked well, that edge defender running free on an option, can you outrun them to the corner? It's funny that when you talk about all three of those factors, I think we'd all agree Tony Pollard was stronger in those areas. Much stronger. And so Much stronger, yeah. It, it sort of speaks to that. Uh, final clip here uh, and, and similar discussion just from the other side of the ball. She talks about how another evolution she's had is believing that run defense is more impactful than she once thought, specifically from defensive tackles and how in turn that can help the pass coverage. I think analytically sometimes people split out run defense and pass defense and pass defense being pass rush and pass coverage and then coming in house and kind of seeing how those two kind of blend together. So it's sticking to in the trenches with the defensive line, those big boys that play in between the tackles, um, your, your noses and your three tacks. So primarily they're thought of as run stuffers and a lot of people think you shouldn't invest in those guys because you shouldn't really invest a lot into run defense in general. But I think if you think of it in terms of run defense and pass defense kind of blending together if you have guys that play really really stout at the line mm -hmm. and take away those interior gaps and now you know you have a back that's able to now move more laterally than you have your second and your third level defenders now they have the time to come crashing down and make those tackles so then that actually leads to not needing as many defenders in the box so then you're putting another guy in coverage or another guy rushing so in that sense investing in those guys and having those guys play really well at the line and run defense actually ends up helping you numbers wise in pass coverage so it sounds like she thinks even if you don't get a lot of great pass rush from Mozzie Smith, Mozzie Smith, if he eats things up on the interior, that's actually going to free things up for the pass coverage. Makes that uh, Leighton Vanderish a lot better running to the football. I mean, when you, when you do not have to fight blocks as you're playing laterally, there that makes a big, big difference. When you get guys, remember how many times, like with the Sean Lees and guys like that, you could you could read as quickly as they could read 
and they're there. They're downhill. And you guys like that, Sean Lee, sometimes they have to have that ability because it's not block great, or excuse me, it's not defended great up front. They're not holding up blocks and stuff. But you get a guy that gets protection and you know from allowed to flow and and can understand by reading scheme what's going on, like a Leighton Vanderesh, guy's gonna make every single tackle. The, the, the good ones are able to do that, especially when they have guys, you know, inside like she was talking about at the one and the three. You are listening to the Love of the Star podcast. The Love of the Star is an Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. All right, before we move on to the next topic here, I need to remind you guys about our wonderful partner here at the Love the Star podcast. It is Boomer Jacks. And I keep telling you guys about Boomer Jacks, specifically what Boomer Jacks has ready for you on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. It's great wing deals. On Tuesdays, it's half-price bone-in wings. Wednesdays are half-price boneless wings. But they have great deals for you the rest of the time, too. They got drink specials starting at $3. They have $15 buckets of beer. There are wall-to-wall TVs. Every sporting event you could ever imagine is on the televisions there when you go to Boomer Jacks. They have TVs in the bathroom. There's literally not a time where you will miss a moment of the action. Live music, like I said, wall-to-wall TVs, great drink specials, great food. It's just a fantastic atmosphere for whatever you're looking for, and it's why we're so excited to have them as our partner here at Love the Star. There are 17 DFW locations. You can find yours by going to boomerjacks.com. That's boomerjacks.com. All right, Brian, we are continuing our uh, series as we lead up to training camp, doing an inventory of the Cowboys roster. Uh, We've previously talked about the backfield, so we touched on the running backs and the quarterbacks. Today, we're going to look at the pass catchers. So this is receivers and tight ends for us to talk a little bit about here. Uh, Let's start things off with the tight end group. Currently on the roster, they have six tight ends. Uh, the Princeton Fant, Jake Ferguson, Seth Green, Peyton Hendershot, Sean McEwen, Luke Schoonmaker. I think we'll probably spend uh, a little bit less time here on the tight ends than the receivers. Because to me, Brian, the only question here with the tight ends is, are you carrying three or are you carrying four? If you're carrying four, McEwen's on. If you're carrying three, he's off. Otherwise, your, your solidified group here is Ferguson, Hendershot, and Schoonmaker. Just wonder, Bobby, because they talk about Princeton Fant as being this guy that maybe this might be the sleeper that we're that nobody's really talking about. We've got uh, you know with McEwen, we got him already on the team potentially. You mentioned if you're only going to carry three, then he would be off the team. Will a guy like that be able to show enough that he can maybe you know? I think we all know what McEwen is. I, yeah. I I do, and I think you do, and I think anybody that's listening to our podcast today or in the future would know that as well. They kind of have an idea of what he is. So if Princeton Fant all of a sudden becomes a better player where you're like, damn, we can't put this guy on the street. You know, we've we've got to keep this. You know, maybe it's the difference between carrying that third quarterback you know, or carrying an extra wide receiver if, in fact, if you've got a guy that is, uh, you know, that is stepping up. I, it, there always happens that, that somebody uh, emerges out of the depth of a, of a position and then it's like, man, that guy's playing really Dennis Houston. 
You know, we weren't talking about Dennis Houston at all, but what did Dennis Houston do? You know, you've said this a bunch. He knew where to line up. He knew what the routes to run. He, but he couldn't run out of sight. You know, yeah. that's the problem. He gets exposed once he has to play. But we'll see. This might be a group, the three or the four, it, if they carry the fourth guy, it might be because that guy beat out McEwen. And, and then, you know, McEwen might be a guy that might not make him carry the fourth guy. Maybe it's somebody else other than McEwen that uh, – but. I, I, Bobby, let me ask you this because you, mm-hmm. you, you cover this team really, really well. You live out there at, at the star. It, it, when they really do like Hendershot, and, yeah. and do they, do they, I mean, do they, I know they love Ferguson, but are you hearing anything that they like Peyton Hendershot just as much as Ferguson? Yeah, I think that, look, I think that when they picked Ferguson, when they did in the fourth round, that was a draft where everybody felt like they needed to get a tight end. Um, And they, they were in danger of losing all the tight ends before their next pick. And so I don't know that Ferguson was anybody that they were really gung ho about taking. I know we talked about this last time a little bit. Ferguson wasn't a guy that I think they're really gung ho about taking. I think they've been, you know, pleased with how he's performed at this point, but his pick was more about making sure they covered themselves and didn't lose every tight end that they liked. And so I think that that's what was going on there. Hendershot, there were some, uh, you know, whispers about maybe he was going to get drafted, but teams didn't love his interviews and some other things. And so because of that, uh, he ended out falling out. Um, So he was a guy that when you think about that, you know, Ferguson going in the fourth, that maybe they had graded more like a fifth and Hendershot falling out when it was more like a guy that teams maybe saw as a fifth, sixth round graded player. I do think that they're, they were graded pretty similarly. And I think that last year there were definitely traits that they liked about Hendershot more. I think they think he's definitely more of a vertical threat, a seam guy Um, where I think Ferguson benefits is a little bit of that Dalton Schultz factor that there there's less of a concern. I think for Dak Prescott in this passing game about, you know, Hendershot showed last year, there were some times where he'd have issues with the drops. And I I think they trust that Ferguson is going to be a more steady option for them. I think they want or what they hope is a little bit of that vertical ability with Hendershot and the reliability of Ferguson and things like that, that taking those traits and putting them together, I think they hope that's Schoonmaker. And I think they believe that he's got the traits to be able to do that a little bit. But I think they absolutely view Ferguson and Hendershot as very close to each other. I'll say this. I I, I know I'm championing Hendershot. I mean, excuse me, uh, uh, Schoonmaker a lot. I championed him on the draft show. I championed him on, you know, when he was selected. Um, I, I think the Michigan scheme didn't feature him as the type of pass catcher that he is capable of being. And Agreed. so I, I'm looking forward to when we get to camp, how he is being used and can we see him in some of those one-on-one opportunities, whether it's a linebacker, a safety, is he finding ways to separate, make plays, because I know the kid can block, I, but I think he's I think he's one of those guys that might not come off the field early because I think he's a little bit underrated as a pass catcher. Well, and and Brett Maxey, the area scout uh, for that pick, had told us when we were uh, you know talking with him on DallasCowboys.com on that second day of the draft is that hey, when you're trying to project that out a little bit and you're projecting it from a guy who doesn't necessarily come from a school that asked him to do those things, um, you know what are you looking for? And he says, well, yeah, you look for 
these clues on the tape or maybe there was an instance of this happening or maybe you look at some of the testing and and you combine these factors and together you put together the picture of I believe this guy can do this and that clearly uh, you know just from hearing what Brett Maxey had to say to us on DallasCowboys.com that clearly is something they believe they gathered enough evidence to say he can do this he can be this guy if we need him to so that's a quick look at the tight ends there a look at the receivers I just uh check this out Brian I, I had to count it up and uh, there are currently 13 receivers on the roster there's going to be a bunch of them out there at uh training camp in Oxnard I'm going to go ahead and whittle us down to nine Brian uh, that, that we're going to actually kick around here before we discuss which five or six make it. Uh, but CeeDee Lamb, Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup, Jalen Tolbert, I think they are on. They're on the roster. That's four. Right. And then you've got the guys who I think are a little bit more bubble-like, and that would probably be Simi Fajoko and Kevante Turpin. And then you've got the dark horse candidates just on the outside, and those remaining three to me would be Jalen Brooks, the seventh-round pick, Dennis Houston, and then uh, the guy that I think deserves some some close attention in terms of the undrafted receiver this year. There's always an undrafted receiver making noise, and that's Jalen Moreno-Cropper. Um, and that's one of the guys that I think should be considered here in the dark horse area. But, Brian, when you look at some of these changes with the, the West Coast, we were already talking about how difficult it's going to be to whittle down the running back room. Are you going to carry a fullback? What if they carry four tight ends? They love having offensive line depth. Is this going to be a team that can carry more than five receivers? Can they carry six, do you think? I think that they would like to carry six, but I don't think they can do it. They're a team that loves to, as you mentioned, Bobby, they love to carry uh, that extra guy. They did it with Dennis Houston last year. and But if you ask somebody over there today about Dennis Houston, it's like, you know, we fell in love with him. We fell in love with McCamp. We fell in love with him because of all the things I said earlier. He lines up well. He... He's in the right spot. He doesn't make mistakes and all those things. You know, I think that I think Dennis Houston, I, I think they know what they have in that particular player. That somebody is really gonna have to step up and have the type of camp, you know, and, and I think a lot of it has to do too with Simi Fajoko. Can yeah. you know, can can Simi Fajoko become the new Noah Brown? That's where I think that they want Simi Fajoko to be. I think, I think they're looking for the next Noah Brown or next Cedric Wilson, somebody like that. That uh, you know, you named off the four guys. We'll see what happens at five or six. I don't think their roster is going to allow them to carry more than five wide receivers. Now, and that maybe that six one is one that they just can't part with. But it, it's going to have to be somebody's going to have to think show up big because I think there's some other areas that they're going to probably want to go a little long at, and I don't know if wide receiver is one of them. Yeah, I think the the dark horse guys who mentioned Jalen Moreno, Cropper, Jalen Brooks, Dennis Houston, those are probably practice squad guys. But Brooks but might be Brooks might be the special teams guy. See, well, that's where I was talking with some scouts about Brooks, and I I asked the question because I asked about Tolbert. I said is is everything about this last draft making sure that Tolbert has a full opportunity? And they said, absolutely. You know, Brooks was Brooks got length. Brooks is toughness. Brooks has the ability to go get the ball across the middle. Brooks could play special teams. You know, yep. what if he shows up in, in training camp as being that guy that, wow, we can't part with this guy. He's making, you know, in the, 
the second half of preseason game two, he's made two tackles already. And, oh, wow, by the way, he's caught four passes already. And, you know, maybe maybe that's something that uh, that they can't part with. But it was – in talking to folks over there, they were adamant about Tolbert. And they believe what we've talked about earlier, Bobby, that – the fact that Tolbert was not part of the OTAs and mini camps, and then they threw him into that deep end of the pool, and he really couldn't swim. Yeah, that was that was something that they were very much they they realized that that the the times he missed the OTAs and the mini camp practices that that put him clearly behind. Now, when you look at the the, the we both believe it sounds like that it's probably going to end up with five receivers. I think if they keep six. Um, it's like you said, they can't let somebody go. Like maybe Deuce Vaughn doesn't show them enough in the return game. And so right. they, like they have to keep Turpin. Yeah. Um, something like that. But if they do end out keeping just five and we're handicapping this thing, do we feel like Fahoko is the odds on favorite to be that number five? I just think Fahoko has the experience, but now you're running into they understand what Fahoko is. You know, they understand they're like, you know, they, <laughs> I keep talking about this. You watch him play against UCLA when he was at Stanford. You're like, you would have drafted. I mean, he, he was incredible. You would have drafted him a lot higher than what he went. But they need him to stay healthy, and they need him to show he's got capable hands. He's a good route runner. He's tough. He's going to have to show it on special teams. Because yeah. everybody that you named ahead of them, ahead of him, who's the real special teams player out of that group? They got no. They got none of those wide receivers can give you anything on special teams. Well, that's part of why Tolbert couldn't get on the field. That's exactly right. So, well, you know, will Tolbert be that guy? I mean, I think they're going to. I don't think they want to put Tolbert on special teams unless they get him exactly like he needs to go on at wide receiver. I think they want him to like okay, develop as a wide receiver, and then we'll work on everything else. You are listening to the Love of the Star podcast. The Love of the Stars and Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, before we move on to the next topic here, I need to remind you guys about our wonderful partner here at the Love of the Star podcast. It is Boomer Jacks. And I keep telling you guys about Boomer Jacks, specifically what Boomer Jacks has ready for you on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. It's great wing deals. On Tuesdays, it's half-price bone-in wings. Wednesdays are half-price boneless wings. But they have great deals for you the rest of the time, too. They got drink specials starting at $3. They have $15 buckets of beer. There are wall-to-wall TVs. Every sporting event you could ever imagine is on the televisions there when you go to Boomer Jacks. They have TVs in the bathroom. There's literally not a time where you will miss a moment of the action. Live music, like I said, wall-to-wall TVs, great drink specials, great food. It's just a fantastic atmosphere for whatever you're looking for, and it's why we're so excited to have them as our partner here at Love the Star. There are 17 DFW locations. You can find yours by going to boomerjacks.com. That's boomerjacks.com. All right, Brian, it is now time for the Dean Julia Love of the Star mailbag. Uh, This is where we turn things over to our listeners and get their questions, their input, uh, see what it is that they want to discuss. First question here from Tony Claiborne. I know they can only improve, but can we expect more productivity from the screen game this year? 2018 is probably the last time we saw anything from a screen play. Come on, Tony, man. I'm with you on this one, too. Uh, We even talked to, uh, what, Jeff Blasco about it, didn't we? Yeah, I told him, I said, you find a way to get a screen package working here. I go, they'll throw a a parade for you in downtown downtown Arlington. You know, downtown Dallas. We'll throw a parade. Yeah, they've got to find a way to get 
Tony Pollard going in that. They have got to find a way to get a Deuce Vaughn going. They have got to find a way. Not, I mean, they're the one team in the league that just, it seems like every week, Bobby, we watch games, people are getting a screen out the back door. Or, or you know, yep. they're running some type of uh, running back screen that, you know, ends up getting 50, 60 yards just because everybody's so aggressive in the way they play. The Dallas, they, 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 the coordination's been poor between the line and the backs. Uh, guys have gone through. Dak has been under pressure. Yeah, I, I, I want to believe that, that Brian Schottenheimer and Mike McCarthy have stole some type of ideas from the better screen teams. One of the projects I would have worked on in the all-off season was we have got to find a way to be better in the screen game, whether it's running back, tight end screen, whatever we have to do, we have got to be better at that. Because look at a team like the Philadelphia Eagles, the way that they throw the running back screen, the way they throw the tight end screen, the delay, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's the tight end, you know, Dallas Goddard catches, boom, 15-yard gain because he's blocking, 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 boom, and then up the field. So, yeah, I, they, they, that, is, that to me, that should be damn near line one when you're starting to talk about what needs to be done the, this fall. Next question here from TGM. Uh, this is a little bit more of an evergreen one, but uh, I'm inspired to ask it based off the pennants there on your wall. Mm-hmm. Ryan, which past Cowboys Super Bowl and non-Super Bowl teams are your favorites and why? Oh, wow. Well, I, the non-favorites ones were the, all the ones in the 90s that were like, you know, every time that we tried to win an NFC championship game or – you know, win a divisional game. Uh, no, but those those teams. My favorite player was on those teams, Darren Woodson. And again, I've been very blessed to be in at Green Bay and Jacksonville with the Tony Boselli's and the Mark Burnells and the Jimmy Smiths. I mean, I've been with some really great players, Philadelphia. You know, some great players. But to me, those those early '90s Cowboys teams that were winning Super Bowls, man, those are the teams I hated because they were so 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 tough. You know, they were they were the ones that were that that just made it very difficult. I mean, we we finally were draft we at Green Bay we were drafting okay and then Dallas had a draft where it was that all special teams draft and things just kinda went south for them from that point on and we finally yeah. got enough players to where, you know, that we were able to pass them, you know, they had to go on the road to win a game at Carolina, couldn't get it done, and then we won the Super Bowl, uh, you know, because Dallas got eliminated. But that that those were the teams that, uh, but the, my favorite Cowboy teams were the ones from like after the Super Bowl that they won against the Dolphins. You know, Super Bowl six, yeah, uh, seventy two, seventy. You know, give me any Cowboy team from say the teams that in after the 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 Dolphins Super Bowl or the Dolph that won the Super Bowl against the Dolphins in Super Bowl six, all the way to the team in nineteen. 19- like 81 where they lost to the 49ers in the in the NFC championship catch game. the catch yeah. those teams in between that are, were some of the greatest teams as a fan as a fan but we didn't have free agency we didn't have this massive movement of players so you had the same offensive line you had the same defense had the same quarterback had the same coaches you know that was a great era to be a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, they talk about a 20 straight consecutive winning seasons, you know? I mean, uh, when we got the Pittsburgh Steelers, what, Mike Tomlin's got, what, 16 now is what yep, he's working yep. on? 
So that would be your next team. And the Patriots there for a while were about to, they were nipping on your heels a little bit. But then they had a bad year and that kicked them. They kicked out a losing season and that kicked them all the way back. But those teams in the 70s Cowboys were my favorite teams. And the teams in the Cowboys of the 90s I hated because they used to just kick our ass. Yeah, the uh, the Super Bowl team, the favorite Super Bowl team. I was a big fan of the uh, the '93 team for the Cowboys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that Tough was the team. Bowl team. That was. It's funny when you hear uh, San Francisco. It's maybe a little bit of sour grapes, but San Francisco will people who were on the team with San Francisco in the '90s tell will say. Cowboys were not better than us in 92. They beat us in, in at Candlestick. We owned San Francisco in the 90s, which is so weird. It was so weird. We had three teams that were really, you know, really, really playing well in the early 90s. And, you know, we were kind of catching up with the – with we owned the Packers. Excuse me, the, uh, the 49ers. It didn't matter. We won, you know, we won, divi- we won a divisional game out in Candlestick. They came to – the year we won the Super Bowl, they came to, to Lambeau in a divisional game. Then we just pounded them, Steve Young and – Elvis Gerbach and those. I mean, it, yeah. it was just you know those those teams where Dallas struggled with those teams, those 49er teams. We never struggled with those teams. It was the it was the Cowboys that we couldn't beat. You know, well, it was, and, it was and, funny. And it's, it's funny. So the the 49ers players will say they were better in '92. They shouldn't have lost that day. They just lost that day in Candlestick. But universally, the the 49ers that era will say the '93 Cowboys were better than us. Like yeah. the '93 Cowboys were. Mm-hmm. The best. They were team. better than a lot of teams. Yeah, that, yeah, they were obviously the they, Super they were Bowl absolutely champs. Terrible. And that obviously made the reason why I give them a little bit bigger of a boost. That was uh, that was the uh, Darren Woodson had moved into the starting lineup and was playing more incredible player. Um, everybody had kind of hit their peak and were coming together. Kevin Williams was on that team. He was not on the '92. He was on '93. He was a threat in the return game. Yeah, uh, I. I mean, I know Kelvin Martin was a big return game threat, but even Kevin Williams to me was a better returner than than Kelvin Martin. Tough team. I mean, oh, seriously, Bobby, you you would you would you would go into a game and you would take one of the one of them away. You would take you would take say Emmett away, and then the others would beat you. You take Michael away, the others would beat you. You take Novacek away, the others would beat you. It didn't. It just they 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 had so many ways. That if you tried to take something away from them, they, they just countered with something better. You know, another okay, well, fine. You're going to play us this way. We'll, you know, and they were very well coached too. You know, the Dave Wanstead's, the the Butch, Butch Davis's, Davis. the the Tony Wise. I mean, they were a well well coached team. And then uh, my favorite non Super Bowl team, um, man, the 2017 was so good. That's one of the best teams. I would guess the one that lost the Giants. Yeah, I would God, guess crazy. That, that that to me was probably one of the most talented football teams not to win a playoff game that's ever played in the NFL. That team was just that was amazing. Good. They lost that game. God, they, that they was were, amazing. They were an incredible team. Greg Ellis uh, talked about it. I, I interviewed him a few years back, and he said that he still will text teammates from back then, and they just. They are still they they, they pissed they away a great opp- and it wasn't all about the Cabo trips and all that man. I mean that hey the the Giants went on an incredible run. Whether they, the Giants won games at they won at Tampa, Dallas, and at Green Bay in the frigid cold, and then win the Super Bowl. That's just a that's an incredible run for a, a team right there. That's magical the way they went. Last question here from uh, Tato Castaneda. He says, in the defensive tackle room, who is the surprise candidate to be cut and the dark horse candidate to make the team? This is an interesting question, Brian, uh, because the I don't know that there's a 
dark horse name on the defensive tackle room right now. Uh, here are the defensive tackles that they have. Quinton Bohanna, Neville Gallimore, Jonathan Hankins, Oso Digizua, Mozzie Smith. And uh, then you've got, like, you know, Junior Fajoko as a hybrid guy. Um, and then Isaac Alarcone. That's the group of defensive tackles right now. So the surprise cut. I don't know how much of a surprise it is at this point since we've talked about Gallimore potentially. That's, I, that's the one I – that would be him or Quentin oh, Bohanna. Bohanna, Quentin and Gall- Bohanna and Gallimore, the guys that I look at. So yeah. the dark horse to make the team, a free agent, somebody that we haven't talked about, that they get in there and they go, we've still got to add to this defensive tackle room. We don't like this or that or over here. So to me, it's the dark horse to make the team is somebody not on the roster. The guy that could get cut here would be uh, Gallimore and or – Bohanna, to be honest, I think this is a big year for both of those guys. Yeah, I think that uh, Bohanna needs to come in and and find a way to to like get, you know to get back into the good graces here. I mean, there were too many times where they've given him opportunity to shine, and he just hasn't shown up like he like he needs to be in order to to make this thing. I think the fact that I think the fact that Chauncey Golston is playing now more three technique. You know, the, I, 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 if you want to, if you last year I'd said Dorrance Armstrong was going to be kind of a breakout player. I think this is going to be the year where, where, uh, where Chauncey, where Chauncey Golston is that guy that all of a sudden it's like him, Osa Digizua, those kind of guys at three technique. I think they're going to, with the combinations that they have with the guys at the one, I think, it, I think that Chauncey could have a pretty darn good year. That does it for us here today on the Love of the Star podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back with another episode on Thursday, and we'll continue the roster inventory looking at the offensive line. For Brian Broaddus, I'm Bobby Belt. We will talk to you guys later.